All right. Good evening, everyone. Hello, hello. Welcome to the ITCAST Real Talk on Sex. I'm your host, Nika Sherelle. The ITCAST is our community outreach podcast that increases diversity in conversations on health and sexuality. Through this work, we're creating a world where all people feel loved, honored, and respected. This episode is brought to you by the House of Sherelle, and we have some upcoming events. This weekend on Sunday, July 16th, we are having, uh, I'm doing my signature releasing sexual shame workshop in partnership with Ethology Collective from 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's going to be online and it's going to be on Zoom. So uh, please check out the QR code and join us. We would love to have you there. Um, Just a little bit about the workshop. It really is about opening you up and allowing you to free yourself from shame and create a whole new relationship with who you are. So uh, we also have our weekly events. Always check out the Freedom Support Group. It is all online on Sundays at noon Pacific, and it's also hosted by Ethology Collective and the House of Shirelle. We have our brunch on Sunday at Jolene's SF. Uh, This is a cool little partnership we have. Go check it out. It's bacon, burlesque, and all the other amazing things. And uh, I know that they would love to have your support as creators. If you want to get one-on-one coaching with me, please visit the link tree. It's going to pop up here to book a free connection session. I would love to know how I can serve and support you. Ask us anything. We want to hear from you. We want your questions. We want your information. Please send it in so that we can really make a difference for who you are out there and serve you with this show. All right. So uh, click on the link in the comments. Get access to our bonus content on Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash Nika Sherelle. There you go. And Uh, Subscribe to this YouTube channel and share with your community. We are going to go ahead and dive in. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill where the caged bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze and the trade winds soft through the sighing trees and the fat worms waiting on a dawn bright lawn. And he names the sky his own. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His feet are tied, his wings are clipped, so he opens his throat to sing. So this week's episode is Real Talk on Freedom from the Birdcage. Today in the booth we have Lenoff. Lenoff is a 21-year-old advocate who has experienced a remarkable personal journey. They have emerged as a voice for change. Their story serves as an inspiration, empowering individuals to confront the intersections of disability and domestic violence with courage and determination. I am proud to present my Neo, very much loved, Lenoff. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. I'm excited about it. Um, so first, tell us a little about yourself and why you're choosing to do this episode. Um, well, one, I am recovering from an accident and being a person that has recovered through so much already, it's let me realize that, you know, when people go through accidents, they are you realize that the stigma that you see other people that have went through things, you're like, oh, wow, that that happened. But when it's actually happening to you, oh, wow, it happened. I can't really explain it all that well to you. It's more like you have to go through it for yourself to understand it. Yeah. Um, But I, I am 
a person that wants to get back to how they used to be full strength and all. And uh, it's a journey of very, like, very long emotional and mental journey because you, you don't just um, snack back to recovery. You, you have like a whole journey in your head of where you're going and how you're feeling. And that that takes a, a big uh, effect on your recovery too. Yeah. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about your accident and the disabilities that you deal with? I was paralyzed. I was, uh, I was looking for a job and I got vaccinated because it was mandated at the time. And shortly after my accident, I was paralyzed by the Pfizer vaccine specifically. Um, I was an athlete before I got vaccinated and- It's a little hard to hear you if you don't mind speaking up, sorry. I said, I, can you hear me now? Yeah, it's better. I said, I was an, actually, I was an athlete before my accident. And before that, like, um, I was skateboarding almost every day. Um, did a lot of exercises. I, I was an active person. And specifically the, um, the vaccine that was mandated that I had to take because I wanted a job. It was uh, Pfizer, Pfizer, the COVID vaccine. It wasn't a booster, but it was just, you know, the shot that you would go in and get. Um, shortly after, I lost uh, motor functions and, uh, you know, a, like aware. Yeah, awareness. Um, and the results of that, I lost the um, mobility of my body and like slowly recovering from that but I, I, I had um, lost everything at one point. Yeah, that's a that's a big journey to go through and I know you have a lot to share about um, not only the accident itself, but just things that you've gone through in your life both before and after. Let's talk a little bit about who you are so that people understand what you experienced in your life. Okay. Um, what would you like to know? Well, <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, different types of abuse that you've dealt with. And I know that you come from a place where you're considered different. And I want to, I want for people to hear like, what, um, what are some of the things that you dealt with? Okay, there is a number of different types of abuse. And sometimes abuse isn't seen to the naked eye. Some people who are like there with you sometimes can see it. There is verbal abuse. There is like, there's emotional abuse. There's mental abuse. There's all kinds. You can just pick one and you don't really want to, but going through what I went through, it was a mix of all of those. And when, when you are recovering and people know that you're recovering and they still do what they do to hurt you and they know it, it it's, it's, a, it's a battlefield because you're battling something else and you're battling this, the same problem that you were in the beginning. So it's, it gets really hard and it gets hard when you're like, not really, you, you don't think you're healing, you're thinking you're doing everything wrong. Mm. And it takes a turn when you're like, did I even do that right? Um, and then you become hard on yourself because you feel like you're not healing properly. You're not doing anything mm -hmm. right. You know, it, especially living around the people that are abusing you. It's people that make you feel like you're not doing enough when you know rightfully you are. Like mm -hmm. when your body functions different, like it different differently than how it used to be compared to other one, everyone else, and they know that, but they also have an idea of 
well, you could still do this, you can do that. It it becomes a problem when they don't take account into how it affects you. Mm-hmm. It it's how it affects them specifically, and when it when it affects them, that's when it would like when it affects them because they're, they're taking care of you. It matters more to them, and for for an abuser to be taking care of you, that's already a red flag. Mm. When you are when you are one person being taken care of being taken care of by that person like they are your caregiver and everything has to go their way it's not going your comfort it's not going for you it doesn't matter until it's actually hurting you and if they can see it that that's the only thing like it it can be abuse that is not seen and sometimes they don't see what they're doing to you yeah they sometimes don't care so you know, it's you take it or leave it kind of thing. Yeah, I get that. There's the elements of both mental and emotional abuse, which is deeply psychological and even harder to see on the surface. Um, you mentioned, and I'm just going to use the word ableism, the conversation of people like, oh, well, you can do this or, you know, why aren't you further along in your healing journey? And it, it it's one of those things where it's so easy to not think about. Uh, as an able-bodied person, I know that I have, I've certainly had my moments and did not realize the impact that that was having on the person that I was caring for. So I'm really glad that we're having this conversation because people don't necessarily know what it looks like, even if they're seeing it on the surface, it's very easy to disregard. Um, That's another thing. The people that have the, uh, sometimes they're able to just see it straight away. They are afraid to do something about it or they don't want to get in everyone's business. And even if you did ask for help, oh, how, how do I know this and such and such has happened? You know, it can be stuff like that. But, you know, when you're coming in confidence to a person and you're telling them this shit's happening to you, my bad, excuse my French. When you, you're expressing this, these things are happening to you, people want proof. People want a, a whole just... They want to essay, they want to look it up and make sure that you're correct. When you're, you are explaining what happened to you and you want someone to help you, you won't be asking for help if nothing happens. It'll be, it'll be kind of like crying wolf when you ask for help and nothing is happening. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes your abusers make it seem like you are crying wolf. Yeah, that uh, actually brings up the conversation around gaslighting, which I think is a really, really big one. We shouldn't be putting the conversation of validating the story on the victim. It's like, this is what's happening. And what usually ends up happening is that the the person who's been victimized is talked out of being a victim. It's like, oh, well, you know, get over it or didn't happen or and just kind of sweeping it under the rug. Um, I want to let's talk a little bit about abuse tactics, because just like it's not seen on the surface in a lot of ways, I think there are a lot of ways to inflict abuse. Very, very many. Um, Being a person that was recovering, uh, let's say specifically when I was in a wheelchair, I felt more like a burden and not because of things that I had to, like I was going through, but the way the attitude of other people were. Uh, You know, they don't feel like taking care of you right then. They don't feel like taking you outside. They don't feel like doing these things for you, getting this down for you, mm-hmm. helping you with these things because they don't feel like it. Um, you know, it's understanding, yeah, I'm, I'm borrowing your body a bit and you're assisting me because I can't use these parts of my body, but you can't. 
I can understand that, but the frustration of it every day when you make it seem like I did something wrong or it's it's too much to do. Mm. And then you say, oh, it's not a problem. It's not a problem, but you're continuously showing that it's a problem and I can read the room. Mm. That that makes you, that affects you to where you don't want to ask for help. You start to not ask for help. You even start to isolate self-isolation specifically and that's dangerous when you are not able to get around on your own you can't get around on your own it's bad to self-isolate especially when people around you are only really caring about you if it's going to harm you see they wouldn't like if you are feeling a certain way they're gonna be like oh well are you okay that's it they're not really going to dig deep into, oh, I, I'm sorry that this is, you know, they're going to say all these, I'm sorry, this is happening to you, mm-hmm. but they're not really going to express to you or let you express to them how, how you feel. And another thing is some people bring up therapy when you are talking, when you need to express how you feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we need to like, it, it, it just listen listening always can you know sometimes can help but suggesting therapy is kind of wrong when when that person is in that level of pain yeah and you know you're sitting there uh, uh, suggesting therapy is not the best way to to talk to them you know? yeah I, I could get it if if that person was saying oh well, i'm this i'm that and you know being all suicidal some type of way something then yeah you can suggest a, ho- a help hotline but you know when, when you're expressing how you feel and that you feel trapped you don't feel that much freedom you feel tired all the time you hurt all the time not suggesting therapy is not for that right you know yeah. um some i had got a question what it was like or they couldn't imagine what it was like to be in a hospital for that long. And I was saying, well, it, it's the it's the difference of you were already laying there and you wake up there and you're confused and you just go with it. And then you're there. That that the, the toll it takes on your brain is the repeated everyday routines when mm-hmm. people are moving you around because you can't move yourself around. People are cleaning you for you people like there's this tv the same things that play on the tv you can't eat and you look at commercials with food all the time that that was the mental that was the mental thing you had to like really fight through mm-hmm. yeah yeah the mental and emotional aspect of not having autonomy of your body and then also feeling like a burden on other people such that you feel then bad about making those requests. I get that. And I'm also hearing that that leads to the, sorry, um, isolation of depression and what it starts to look like when you can't rely on people. You mentioned a feeling of being trapped in your own body. Um, can you share just a little bit more about what that was like? Like being trapped in your body. It's like being a bird in a cage and you're looking at the rest of the world and you can't fly into it. Like you have these wings and these bars are like boundless but they're invisible and no one else can see them, but you can't go past them. Wow. Oh, people out there know I cry all the time, but damn. People can't see them and you can't look past them. Can't move past them. Can't move past them. Oh, wow. I mean, (laughs) that just brings tears to my eyes because unless you know what it feels to feel like that, I don't really think that 
you could imagine it thoroughly enough to do it any justice. Like, see, it in high school. I want to say seventeen is the earliest age I ever thought about what it was like to be paralyzed. What would it be like to not move, to not do anything? And that that question has actually been answered. <laughs> but it's I realized that going through that has made me realize there's so much there's so much that we take for granted every day. Like just the breath that you breathe every day and you don't even think about it. You don't even think about how you did that, the muscles that took for that. And it takes a lot of muscles to breathe. Mm. It takes a lot of muscles to 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 yawn, to laugh. <laughs> it takes a lot to do the things that we do every day, and we didn't even think about it. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> gratitude, y'all. Gratitude. That's all I can say about that. If you have never just stopped to be grateful for all of the things that were just mentioned, just. Take a minute to do it and continue doing it. Our emotions are a gift to our of our physicality. That's big. Ableist privilege popped in the chat. Um, and uh, there's a comment uh, about um, learning to free your internal strength. And I think that's really huge because being able to talk about these things is really important to being able to heal these things. Um, I want to, you mentioned um, the time before you were paralyzed. And I know earlier we talked a lot about spiritual abuse. We talked about like outside of um, outside of the family unit and outside or prior to the um, to the paralysis, just some things that you were up against. Okay, getting into that. So before my accident, and you know, prior before I like just left, <clears throat> before I just left out of town to like get my life started to to start. And I do freshly be happy, all of that. Um, I was going through a lot of physical abuse at home. Like, there wasn't just the mental, the verbal, the, the emotional. There's, there was physical abuse that I dealt with. And the threat that if I defended myself, if I was an advocate for myself, or if I just stood up for myself or just you know, laid a simple boundary. I was in a threat. I was in the danger of getting hurt by someone in the family because of self. And, you know, it it really messed up with my head, you know, with things of having a boundary of outside the family. And with, with your family being able to, like, step all over you, because you're not going to do anything back to them. It, it, um, it affects you mentally where you're afraid to set boundaries, period. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when people are like, well, you, you didn't say this, you didn't say no, nah, 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 nah. you know, it really, you did you probably did say no with your body language, probably did with your eyes, but you still said yes anyway, because you're afraid to get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It can be like that. And, you know, with a family that didn't doesn't respect your boundaries and they go they go past them anyway, they're not going to see how that affects you or they're not really gonna care. But they do that so they can get whatever they want out of you in that moment, whatever whenever they want to. Because they feel like they own that part of you. Mm. Now the, the physical abuse goes beyond that. The physical abuse went far as you 
don't don't scream. Don't be don't be loud. Don't be telling people about this stuff like that. And like you know, you you have a reason to tell me these things because you don't want other people to know. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I always wondered why it was always that way when there was a reason why, because it was wrong. It was wrong. And when you go out of your way to explain what has happened to you or even just the rant and you feel a certain way, your abuser will most likely get in your room and say, you went out and told everybody about me. Well, you want me to lie? <laughs> no. Um, I did that one day when I explained sp specific everything, word for word, things that happened to me and the things that were said to me and things I said back. And my mother came in my room, stormed in, and she broke my cane and said, you told everybody this and that. And I'm like, it happened. It happened. So, so if you have a problem with me expressing how I feel, I, I, oh, well, that's, that's on you. That's you problem. Because that's how I feel. And that's what happened. And I feel that way because that's what happened. I'm not going to feel any type of way because you feel angry that I feel this way because you treat me that way. It, that doesn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense because I'm, I'm a human being. You know, being a human being, you, you're supposed to react to, to things that you don't like and you like, period. Like we react to things. Mm -hmm. We have emotions. Being able to utilize those emotions, though, like like healthy in a healthy way, uh, you know, that that affects your judgment and how you affect your uh, no. How do you how you control your emotions later on? That affects all of that. So, like, if you have a short tempered friend and you know they blow up when they can't really like talk or yeah, there's, there's some things that are buried there mm -hmm. from, from probably abuse. Yeah. Physical abuse really does do something to you. Like you get older and you're afraid to speak up for yourself. You're afraid to, you're afraid to do a lot for yourself. Yeah. And it, it's scary because there's, there's a point where you have to, speak up for yourself and you don't do it and you end up getting hurt yeah wow it's like you get hurt regardless the threats and the the fact that like there's not a a, a wall there's not a barrier there's not protection on a mental or physical level from the threats that are being made and I know 100% that that can be very, very scary. Um, we have a comment that says some people experiencing abuse would think the abusive, the abuse was no, uh, behavior was normal and justified. How were you able to recognize and break through that? Uh, yeah, you do grow up not really realizing how wrong it is. Mm -hmm. Until you you meet someone healthy or someone is, they don't display those toxic behaviors towards you and it becomes so foreign that you're like, well, well where's the violence at? You know, I mean, there, there's a point where you even probably will ask, oh, I thought you'd be mad at me or I thought this would, this would have been wrong. It's always a thought, well, I thought this would be versus what it actually would be, could be should be you know and you're not familiar with that because you weren't introduced to that i i can completely relate having grown up in a place where there was a lot of very normalized violence and um definitely emotional and verbal abuse as well and it was just commonplace it was commonplace. Like you wouldn't think, you wouldn't think that that would actually be a problem. Um, you know, children getting into fights and things like that. I remember 
um, when I was a kid, you know, it's really about perspective and what you choose to see. Um, I think that there's a, a lot that goes into it. And being able to step out and like get the awareness and the discovery and the freedom is so powerful. Um, can you actually, um, can you share a little bit about the freedom and like where you are now? Okay. Then right now I can freely be myself. Like when I get excited, if I like, like to like if I make an expression where I'm like really happy, I can actually like dance. I can do a dance. I can jump. I can do whatever I want without someone saying, "You stop doing that. That's stupid. Stop doing that. You're doing too much." You know, I can actually be free in expression. I can be free in what I wear, what I like to do. I can do things that I like to do that are not too different for people that whatever intimidates them, I don't care. Um, it, whether it intimidates them or not, you know, it, it, it can be things that every, everyday things that people do and people are bothered by it, you know, from where I came from. Skateboarding bothered people. Drawing was a thing where, oh, that's so cool, but like if you draw better than someone that's popular, they fucking hate you, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It hobbies that, you know, I like to do that that would take outside grounding. You know, people look at you funny if you were doing a little spirit dance outside, if you wanted to do that. But here you can do that without judgment. And, you know, I I feel like I fit in here a lot better. I'm a lot happier. And the, the reason why is because, you know, I'm not around people who are just provincial. You know, I'm not in a provincial environment anymore. Yeah. The people who shame you for being you. You know, that whole don't let your light shine because it might blind someone else. Well, well, they go blind. Oh, well. <laughs> Just grow new eyes. Just grow new eyes. Yes. Yes. Shift the perspective. That's what, like, all of it. Uh, I think that when it, comes to abuse perspective is everything because the abuser feels a certain way about the abusee and vice versa. And I hear just a lot of blindness to it. You mentioned when you were a kid uh, feeling unprotected and invisible. Can you share? Go ahead. Usually um, growing up as a kid, I was always spoken for. I didn't really like speak for myself all the time. And I didn't really know how to until like the time came and I was unfamiliar with it because I was always spoken for. And with that, you don't really feel seen or heard because someone else has to speak for you. You you don't really grab the attention to yourself to be heard because you don't know how to. And it's, it's like a gamble when you're like calling for help. They can be like, hey, I, I need help or assistance with this and no one hears you. Then you gotta speak a little louder, louder. Then you become scared to speak a little louder because you were scared to speak up for yourself as a kid. But you know, it, it's, well, not even just that. As a kid, like sometimes you were told to not speak up. Like, yeah. especially if it was something right, if you was, to snitch about somebody doing something wrong, you were you were told to shut up, you know, shut your mouth. You don't know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, because you're a kid. Right. Not only oh, sorry. Hey, you go ahead. Um, not only has your boundary been violated, but then you've also been silenced in the process. So when that happens, you learn to stop setting boundaries. learning that to do it now but you know that it does affect you later in your life as an adult and in your development where you're just like oh well I'm still a kid in some way and you're you're trying to figure out what you can do to fix 
or like strengthen where you're at so you don't become too vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Vulnerability can be scary. And I, there's just so many words for it. Um, I want for you to speak for the neurodivergent people out there who, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, like it's, it's an invisible thing, but it's a very powerful thing. Please, uh, if you don't mind sharing about that. Okay. Um, for us neurodivergent people out there, I'm actually a bit excited about this, but, um, like, what, what do you want me to say? Uh, Tell us about your journey and your experience. Okay, so being a neurodivergent person, I feel like I feel like they like decided to put us on medication. Just oh, you got ADHD. Here's some Adderall, some Vyvanse. Here's some Concerta. Take all that. Take it. It's gonna make you all better. You're gonna be smarter. You're gonna be focus it doesn't matter as long as you're doing the work mm. yeah. Yeah. it doesn't matter as long as you're sitting down who cares if you're feeling anything do your work that that's that's a great propaganda right there that they don't want to show the rest of the parents that are giving their children these medications to focus mm -hmm. the focusing isn't like the the kid is focusing but behind the scenes their dopamine is literally being disintegrated at the second like when they're older they're probably not going to feel anything or they're probably going to feel everything and not want to feel anything mm. it's like the, the half and half you know um i mean most likely they're just not going to feel anything i'm one of those people that really they do but they don't you know yeah. you get excited but you really don't have the, um, you know how people are able to just show how they feel when they're happy? Yeah. Well, it's like, a, you know, there's like a cap on a bottle and there's water in the bottle. And it's like constantly trying to like, you know, let out the water, but it doesn't. So only like intense emotions are like showing. It's like I could be really happy and talking to you, and you would ne probably never know. Sometimes mm. people are like, "Oh, well, you, you seem like you're not. Are you there? Are you are you happy? Are you sad? Or how are you feeling right now?" And I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm feeling that. That's what I tell them. I'm feeling. Mm, yeah. I'm like, feeling what? I'm feeling. I don't know what I'm feeling, but I'm feeling that that's yeah. the best way I can explain it. Um, um, that's just for me. I mean, some other people are different. There are some people that they they feel like a all-time middle, neutral. And I mean, I was one of those. I still feel a bit all the time neutral. Um, I'm just a bit happier now, but still neutral. That, that's that's where it is. It's, it's a bar that has been set. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. A limit on your... My message is do not put your kids on uh, any kind of medicine early. Give them consent. Like, because this is a life-changing thing. It's not just a pill that's going to change your day. It's going to change your serotonin for the rest of your life. And you're not going to notice it until they're teenagers and they don't want to talk to you. Mm. Wow. And the cycle began. That's big. I never even perceived of it in that direction. And it's like the way you just described normalizing people so that they fit into the cog of the machine. Mm -hmm. It's not about allowing people to be expressive and to be who they are and to be free, but really shutting that down. And I never thought about the long-term ramifications on the person's life. It basically it is just to help with the people becoming factory workers. That's just exactly how schools were, you know, 
fixed to do factory workers. Mm-hmm. So when you when they when your doctor prescribes you ADHD medicine because your kid did not sit down sit still or they have um, they have issues where they have to be loud sometimes they have to do some things to self regulate and they prescribe some things like that it does not always help find some things to self regulate healthy not a drug not a sugar pill because want to help them find a way to self-regulate without any medications maybe it's something in their environment that they live around that's making them feel that way where they have to self-regulate all the time you know where mm-hmm. they tap their feet they rock or whatever you know there's people that do that okay mm-hmm. um i tapped my feet all the time i tapped my hands all the time and i didn't realize that was a separate regulation um, a self-regulating mechanism or coping mechanism because I was always doing it. I was always tapping my foot. I was always shaking my leg. I was always doing mm-hmm. something to feel, I don't know, grounded. Mm-hmm. I was anxious and I didn't feel safe anywhere. So there was a reason why I was doing something all the time. But, you know, the medicines aren't really medicines. They're just, they make you into a, a machine. That's it. The ADHD medicine specifically just makes you into a machine. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important for everyone out there to just take a moment and think about listening to your kids. When a child is displaying nervous tics and, and fidgeting, there is likely something going on underneath and to stop it and change it does not actually serve the person who needs the help and the healing. So what I'm hearing is that instead of looking at what you were going through and examining your pain, there was really more of a focus on getting your pain to be silent. And it wasn't just through there. It was other ways they, you know, people would try to silence me when I was in pain. Um, there, there's been times I, I was a, a person that's caused me pain in the moment and they didn't want me to scream. They didn't want me to express that I was really, really upset or really hurt about something, you know, and it didn't matter. It was swept under the rug as soon as possible. And I was in trouble. I was sad and time out or whatever. And I, you know, people don't even call it time out where I'm from. I was just sat in a room until my mom woke up and felt better. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't to work it out. It was, you're wrong because you were screaming. You were making too much noise. That's big stuff. That's big stuff. I love the title that you picked for this episode, and I would love if you could just share um, what it's like to let go of that space. The face that I'm expressing right now. <laughs> it's like, uh... okay, you're holding a basket full of like, troubled truffles okay you're like but i gotta take these somewhere but i don't know where just holding them right you don't want to damage the they're like damaged goods at the same time already but you they're they're as damaged as they can be but you're not trying to damage them any worse you know just okay you're carrying them then all of a sudden a, a moment in your life where you're like oh no they're gone they're they're on the ground they're broken wait (laughs) <laughs> I don't have to carry them no more. I don't even know I was taking them to anyway. Mm. And you, oh, okay. Awesome. I don't have to carry them no more. And you're, you're just going about your life. And well, where I'm at right now is that the truffles are talking back to me, like, pick me back up. No. <laughs> well, that's a beautiful analogy and well said. Um, You also mentioned the word kindness and that, um, can you talk about your experiences now uh, 
with that. I meet more people that are understanding and different behaviors, like uh, like being neurodivergent and having autism. When you are autistic, some people are like, they're strange, they're weird, or they have something about you that they don't like, and they don't have the patience or the capacity to deal with it, or even to just stand in the same room with you. There's people that are, stop doing that, that that's annoying, that's loud, that's stupid, stuff like that. You get that a lot when people think that something is just wrong with you when really you're just autistic and you're self-regulating, probably in public, probably alone, probably reading a book that you really like and you probably get like a, a spike of excitement. You're like, oh yeah, great, awesome. I really like that. And you're like, shut up. Some people are like that. And I've, I've lived around people that were not autistic friendly. Like growing up autistic in a family that think autism is Down syndrome and you're nonverbal and stuff like that when really there's different versions. There's different, there's a spectrum. And they're thinking, well, you're not autistic because you're not doing this. I'm like, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Because I could probably, like, it's, it's invisible. I meet people that have Asperger's syndrome and they're fine. They're not how everyone else would say, oh, well, they're, they're this and they're that. I thought I had Asperger's for a while. I'm actually getting reevaluated to see what kind of autism I have, but I know I'm autistic and there's no denying it. <laughs> like, that's like, that's like saying I'm not gay. <laughs> <laughs> Deny it all you want. <laughs> that is so. Oh man! When I said I, when I actually came out, mm -hmm. they were like, "We saw you in the closet." That it, part. It's obvious. Yep. You just have to say it. You know yourself. No one else can say it for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's about admitting to yourself what's actually happening with you. Um, mm, wow. Okay. This is so powerful and you made me cry at least once. Um, can you share anything with our listeners that like resources, information, um, you know, if you want to be in community and contact with anybody? Um, what, what, what would I like to say? Yeah, do you have anything you want to say to people who are listening? Mm -mm, no. Okay. <laughs> but thank you. Uh, I, I so much appreciate you being on. As a community guest, your voice is powerful and necessary. I believe that more people... I would love it if more people are ready and willing to speak up just about their experiences, because it's not just about, you know, like experts coming on and telling you what to do. It's also about healing and getting to create this conversation so that other people can heal. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. I'm going to go ahead and close us out. I appreciate you so much. And I want to say thank you, everybody who is out there watching and listening today. This is the ITCAST Real Talk on Sex, our community outreach podcast that increases diversity in conversations on health and sexuality. And through this work, we are creating a world where all people feel loved, honored, and respected. Next week, we have our episode, Real Talk on Making Accessibility Sexy. So we're going to be keep, we're going to keep on supporting the diverse community and, uh, and really making powerful resources for disabled people to enjoy who they are and their sexuality. On Sunday, I'm leading my Releasing Sexual Shame workshop with Ethology Collective. That is 4 to 7 p.m. online and in person. Go sign up. Space is limited, and we really want to have you there. 
You can also check out our weekly Freedom Support Group, all online Sundays at 12 Pacific, hosted by Ethology Collective and the House of Shirelle. Definitely check out the Sunday brunch. It is tons of fun. Uh, in partnership with Jolene's SF, there is a beautiful uh, bacon and burlesque and all the other bees of wonderfulness happening out there. And uh, I know that I love it. So definitely check it out. You can ask us anything. As you see, we had a community guest on. We want to know what you want to share, hear, talk about, heal, and just be a part of this conversation. We want to hear from you. So you can click the link in our uh, in our um, <laughs> in our uh, QR code. Click the link and uh, have your questions answered on the show. You can get access to our bonus content on Patreon patreon.com slash Nika Shirell. Learn more about our work at theitcast.com. Subscribe to this YouTube channel and share this work with your community. Thank you everybody for being on and I will see you here next week.